Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafried. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels. to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. Uh, with me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Joe Peterson. How's it going tonight, Joe? Hey, it's going good. How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. Can't complain too much. Just uh, been busy, but enjoying the <laughs> enjoying the nice weather, because we got to talk about the weather, right? That's a, the first segment. That's right. It's always the, the, the always Midwestern weather report. Yeah, it's, it's mid-May, and it doesn't feel like it it did today but it doesn't that that hasn't been the last week or so it's been cold and rainy and cool and rainy i can't say cold i can say cool (laughs) yeah the kids are outside riding their tricycles around now both of them finally got the hang of pedaling a little bit at least and then um yeah so we're spending most of our days when it's not raining outside and having having fun in the new house and enjoying the space that we have so oh nice but but yeah, I know, been uh, been good. Yeah, I had uh, we're I was as we were talking about before we started uh, recording tonight. I just finished giving my last quiz of the semester, and this this semester has been a real haul. I can tell it has been for students. It's unfortunate when you can tell that because it reflects in grades. Uh, but I can just <laughs> tell it in myself as well. And then yesterday, I had an event happen that really kind of summarizes the entire last five months which just of this semester is i i dropped off the last of my scantron forms for my final exam to get graded you know the fill in the bubble exam mm-hmm. forms that's a great feeling it's like all right they're at the graders and i'm gonna go back to my office and work on some stuff and i was walking out of the library testing center on campus and i turned around to see if anyone was behind me so I could hold the door for him, and I kept moving forward, and I smacked myself face first <laughs> right into a door frame. And I mean, like, fucking hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> I saw stars. I've got a huge welt on my forehead. I'm like, yeah, this this is Jeez. it. This is, this is the semester. <laughs> Perfect way to say goodbye to the semester, right? Well, it just kind of summarizes how it's it, been. Yeah. Like, everything I try to do, and whack! <laughs> there it is. So... <laughs> And then, you know, I have to walk back to my office like, am I bleeding? I hope I'm not bleeding because I'm trying to act (laughs) cool. You know, you you look around first like nobody saw me, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and usually there's like one or two people that definitely did and you're like, oh, god damn it. (laughs) Yeah, god damn it. 
At least it wasn't a student, at least that I know of. It wasn't like, oh, hey, Dr. Pete, smack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'd be even better. (laughs) Yeah, can't wait wait to see how the summer's going to be if this is how we're leaving the semester off. But, (laughs) yeah. Well, it's, uh, at least it'll give me a little bit more hear time. Your, at least, uh, at least you're all done with at least the the worst part of it. So I hope so. I hope so. I mean, now I've got you know more a little bit more time to to work on some other things that I've got to do for work, but also to to catch up on movies and stuff, and and uh, hopefully record more shows. So yeah. So we um, this week have a rare treat for everybody, and that is that we have. Although you just pointed out before the show that there is kind of a um, a link between these two movies, but on the schedule wise, or what we were thinking is the we have two kind of unrelated shows coming up the next couple weeks, and right. that is kind of a rarity for us because we kind of do things in pairs for some reason. Just it started working out that way, and we just kind of pick one themed movie and uh, pick something else based on it. And uh, that was not the case with these. These were just kind of two we were filling in gaps in the schedule and two that we wanted to cover. And, um, yeah, got in uh, some unrelated movies. So uh, when we get done talking about them, and maybe next week we can uh, talk about what what the two movies actually did end up having in common. Right. It wasn't planned. It just kind of happened that way, right? Yeah, it was was just kind of a thing that, oh, after the fact. So, yeah. and then the first one we're going to talk about, uh, gosh, I remember watching this one many, many years ago. But uh, Well, this is one of those that is kind of the epitome of the Video Junkyard yeah. um, pitch or whatever we initially kind of conceived this show as, which we've we've loosely stuck to. <laughs> but, yeah, we um, tried. <laughs> we're always, yeah, we're always kind of changing. But yeah, this is definitely one of those like late 80s, early 90s video store um, staples, right? And yep. The f- funny thing about this one is this is one I can remember just always being at the video store. I don't think I ever saw this movie, and I would have told you differently oh. before watching it again. And maybe I've seen the sequel because there were some familiar like concepts about it. And yep. I, and you know, I could have I could have been thinking of something else with Brian Dennehy. He was in a lot in you know of movies at right around that period of time, but. Um, this movie was not familiar to me at all, which was interesting because I, I had sworn that I had seen it years and years ago, but uh, I don't think I have. So I'll have to check out FX2 cool. and see if maybe that's what I've seen. Because, right. uh, the yeah, it seemed seemed familiar to me. Anyway, yeah. we just talked about the movie without introducing it, so I'll go ahead and do that. And that is our... The film we're going to talk about this week is the 1986 film FX. Raleigh Tyler is an FX man, the movie's master of make-believe. <laughs> He can show you a thousand ways to die. Hey, God, God. Great special effects. But now somebody wants Raleigh Tyler to do it for real. We want to stage a fake assassination, Raleigh, and we want you to supervise it. Who's the we? Justice Department. I'm a special effects man. I deal in make-believe. I'd like to keep it like that. We just thought that we might be able to utilize your particular genius to help us out. And what if someone takes a shot at me? You are 100% protected. I give you my word. That job that guy wanted me to do? I think I'll do it. But someone else is writing the script. 
and casting him as the killer. I haven't done anything. What if he put in real bullets? If one person, one person suspects. Sorry, Raleigh. No loose ends. Listen's up to something. He tried to kill me. But Raleigh Tyler's most special effects are yet to come. Forget why you hired me. What next? At the next corner, send Nelly in. Oh my God, what? Is he the weapon or the victim? Is it murder or is it FX? Short synopsis here. Raleigh Tyler is the best special effects artist in the sh- in showbiz, but this time it's not the studio seeking him out, it's the Justice Department. His assignment? To stage an assassination of an important underworld witness, and after he pulls off the illusion or after he pulls the illusion off, making the informant disappear, Raleigh is dumbfounded to learn that he's been pinned for the murder. Double crossed and now hunted by those who hired him, Raleigh quickly learns that he can trust no one, and the only thing left that can save his life is his unequaled mastery of illusion. So, yeah, it's about a, a movie special effects guy that kind of gets wrapped up in this, uh, you know, crooked cops in the Justice Department and, you know, mobsters and yeah. um, has to use his ability as an effects artist to kind of trick his way out of trouble and kind of get back at the guys who screwed him over. So Well, and you know, um, one of the it, things I, I, I really struck me watching this is this is a movie that could really only have been made in 1986. It yes, couldn't be totally. made today. <laughs> Because there aren't really people like this like the, anymore, not as many. Yeah, I mean that's that's one part of it. It also just in, in a very pleasant way, like nostalgic w- way. It it really hits all of the cliches of like eighties cop movies. Kind of the, the 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 main character being a special effects guy is pretty much the only thing unique or that sets it apart from you know a hundred other you know cop movies right <laughs> in the eighties. So it even right. kind of has that style to it, like. Um, 80s cop movie uh it it does kind of like skate the fringes of being comic uh so it's a bit of a comedy but more of a kind of low-key action cop drama with movie special effects sounds very unique and it is i think that it's those unique kind of qualities that make it a memorable movie so um i remember this one being a big hit with people like this Mm -hmm. one people talked about so that's why i was kind of i was kind of shocked that it I, it, this isn't the one movie I was thinking of, but yeah, I do remember people talking about FX a lot, and I do remember obviously the the, the box, <laughs> the video store with the yep. cover, a black and white photo with red lettering on it. Um, mm-hmm. This is, uh, gosh, this is one I remember my dad actually showing me when oh, I yeah. was a kid. Yeah, um, he he really liked Brian. He, I remember most Brian Dennehy movies. Um, I saw as a kid were things my dad showed me, and I'm really kind of wondering now: Is my dad like a Brian Dennehy fan? Is that like his thing? I don't know. I'll, I just have. I mean, I think it's cool that Brian Dennehy fans exist. I wasn't sure that that would. Be I, a, I don't you know, know if thing, he was but... one, but you know, I could. I, I I remember my dad really being creeped out by the John Wayne Gacy movie To Catch a Killer, where Dennehy plays Gacy. I I still find that movie creepy as hell. But in this, yeah, one, I've heard he's been, really pretty great and well i mean disturbing great in yeah, that movie yeah but you know and and uh brian brown who stars in, in this one um you know this was also during 
you know, he was in Cocktail and, and you know, uh, yep. Breaker Morant. And he, he this was during his... He had a short run of, yeah, a bunch of starring roles there just in a, like a five-year period. Right. This, the movie, this is kind of interesting. Cause it, it feels like a kind of a cross between like Crocodile Dundee and MacGyver in a way yeah you know? yeah totally i that was funny that you bring that up because that was something i wrote down that this kind of had a fla- the flavor of a you know macgyver uh honestly better probably than that television show but um yeah the character raleigh tyler has a very like macgyver like quality the way he uses his you know quote-unquote effects knowledge to build gadgets and set traps and stuff is um it's cool it's it's what makes the movie kind of fun but yeah yeah and uh Oh gosh, the, the sequel I remember finding pretty interesting too. That one came out in '91, uh, and mm-hmm. then there was a I, I had completely forgot about this that there was the the series from '96 yeah. to '98. I don't know if I ever saw any of that either, but yeah, I, I when reading about it was I saw that there was a television series. I'm not sure I was ever aware that there was, but I, I vaguely remember it, but I don't remember ever seeing it. Um, mm. I think one of the other things that's that's great about this one too is, you know, the the cast in in this. Yeah. There's there's really it's really quite a good cast. Not just Brian Brown and and Brian Dennehy, but uh, this is actually a, the the first role ever of uh, Angela Bassett. Oh right, yeah. yeah. She has a, a very uh, kind of a side role in this too, but. And one thing that I found about this one too in re- reviewing it is that uh, the, the the whole murder mystery there is kind of surprisingly complex compared it to what it yeah. could have been, you know. And maybe they they didn't want to go too simple, um, but it, it is a little bit. It feels over, a bit convoluted, overly convoluted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like I still. Again, I've seen this one a couple of times over the years. Um, it's always been something that's kind of been, you know, sticking around in the memory. Uh, but I still can't really... I, I don't think I could sit down and map out on paper for anybody without notes what the hell actually is going on with this kind of noir... <laughs> the conspiracy, the, yeah. the conspiracy. It's like, okay, the Justice Department's bad. Cops are good in this. Brian Denny's well, a good it... cop. And... But why? More so than that is even if you can kind of draw the lines together and figure it out, which I think if you think about it, you, we, we probably could. Um, it Who in the hell would have planned something like this? It just seemed there would be so, much, so many other easier or less convoluted ways to off a witness or like fake off a witness. Um, and when I say off, I'm obviously talking about murder, you know, yeah. the faking of the murder of their... Um, he was a um, mafia boss who was arrested and was going to testify against um, the rest of his gang or whatever. Um, so that I was just sitting there thinking, like, you know, of all the ways you could pull this off, why would this be the route that you would go? And then to further convolute things, not only do they, like, fake... They hire this effects artist to fake his death, but then they want... They, they fake it that he's actually dead so that the effects artist thinks he's dead so that they can get rid of him so that they can (laughs) just like back and forth. And then you throw in Brian Dennehy's character and the cops that are kind of like trying to piece everything together. Um, Yeah, it does. It feels a bit convoluted at points, but it's, I don't know. It never really bothered me too much because I don't think it's ever so super serious that you have to know every detail 
basically at a point it just you're just like okay um i know this character you know raleigh tyler i know you know the cops and i know and i know who the good guys are i know who the bad guys are they're chasing this guy this guy's setting traps and making cool stuff <laughs> and I'll, I'll totally admit having somebody who's never read any george R. R. martin this is how i watch game of thrones <laughs> I'm like, okay i've got like the main characters down and then everybody else is like oh yeah they're, they're one of the bad guys and bad guy with the weird hair is doing the bad thing to the that one girl okay i got it yep all right i i'm caught up <laughs> i just don't yeah, know unlike unlike those of us that that have spent a lot of time with those novels that'll tell you you know bad guy with uh not only know the the bad guy with the funny hair's name but also know his uh you know family lineage and uh yeah you know, what what house he's from and where he grew up what <laughs> favorite foods and yeah, yeah exactly favorite vacation which spots. is not if you've ever if you've never read george R. R. martin the food thing is definitely not a joke so yeah <laughs> that's yeah i am aware of that but no i i i also just wanted to mention how great it was seeing jerry orbach in this movie <laughs> Oh yeah, he's really good. Yeah, at it. It's like he is. And, I want to see a mashup and, of this and Law and Order with him because <laughs> he he's pretty much playing the same character except in Law and Order he's a good cop, but he acts exactly the same. Yeah, I was gonna say his performance is pretty much exactly the same as everything he did with uh, on my limited limited experience with Law and Order. But yes, I think uh, maybe Jerry Orbach's not the most versatile actor in the world but he's good i mean like good character actor you know he's very um yeah like you mentioned earlier good cast this is a total total mid-80s cast brian dennehy um clifty young and Mm -hmm. um a great very dramatic performance from by uh roscoe orman who most of us of our generation would know better as gordon from sesame street yeah (laughs) which really kind (laughs) of kind of threw me off at first i had to keep looking going is that is that it took me a while it's like but nobody's got as great of a mustache as you know as that guy so it's got to be gordon it's just like right away i'm like it's got to be him and i looked it up and sure enough it is name actor's name is roscoe orman and it's most famous for sesame street but plays captain jake welling wellinger in and and yeah i i had to look that up too and and i ended up (laughs) getting stuck in one of those internet rabbit holes where i was like huh there have been three different people that have played gordon on sesame street interesting i did that's weird because that's the guy i recognize instantly as gordon from sesame street yeah i mean all the other i saw pictures of the other people i was like what they just like they lost a black guy with a mustache so they found another black guy with a mustache like yeah you're the new gordon like yeah. really nobody will notice no and it was the 70s terrible. and 80s nobody cared or it wasn't considered cringy like that would be now you know right in in some ways well but, i mean you can't replace that mustache he's got the no, best mustache he, he really i think they they, <laughs> they finally got the best one and they stuck with it yeah he stuck with know. them and you know i think he still shows up on the show every once in a while and even to this day so um if he's still around but i know in in Long after I was grown up, reruns I've seen of it. He's still participating. So. Yeah, it was weird seeing him in FX swear and smoke. <laughs> exactly. you know, it's just like it's like I didn't know Gordon's day job was like hard boiled police detective, like or police captain. Yeah, like, <laughs> getting yelling at Brian Dennehy. I, I never would have expected that. <laughs> right, um, and then uh, also Tom Noonan is in this, and he's totally wasted as just a background character. Who's he's he's another actor I I really really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, from this era and and also from more recent stuff a 
most notably uh, House of the Devil, if you've seen that. But um, yeah, well, yeah he's, he's a fantastic yeah. actor as well. And he is totally wasted in this movie, but he's there. So, Well, yeah, I remember him, of course, as uh, the original Francis Dollarhide in Manhunter. Yeah, that's the first Tom Harris um, story, the Red Dragon, before it was Red Dragon. Uh, and he was yeah. also Frankenstein's monster in Monster Squad. Which was cool. He too. was. You're another, right. Yeah. Another another yeah. fun role with him. Um, you know, I, FX is one. Honestly, the thing that has always jumped out at me. Um, well, I shouldn't have said that because that's really kind of a pun. But the one thing in this movie <laughs> that's always stuck with me is the big giant monster alien puppet thing that <laughs> yeah his, Rolly his, has in yeah as his like home security door system. trap or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's this big bug-eyed horned monster thing that he keeps right behind his front door. So if somebody wedges the door open, it roars and lunges at them, and it's a prop from one of his movies. But mm-hmm. that that always stuck with me. So like when somebody just says the word FX, that image pops into my head. And it's funny because over the years, the the monster changes a bit in my head, in my mind. So every time I rewatch the movie, I'm like, oh, that's how it looked. <laughs> Yeah, because I just remember characteristics of it. But it's uh, no, I think this, I think like like you said, this movie is quintessential. I think for for this mm-hmm. kind of a podcast because it's a it's a, a your typical eighties low kind of low end action movie. At the same time, you know, with with some of the your typical eighties police scandal stuff. But then it has special effects, not just 80s style special effects, but it's about 80s style special effects. And yeah. it's, well, it's kind of meta in a way, but... Um, it is. And obviously somebody was paying attention, or at least did their research well, because of uh, the way that they, you know, the influences they used and the way they decorated Raleigh Tyler's apartment. And I remember seeing a... A, a faulty zombie poster yeah in the, in the set and then there's some other really great stuff too that's the one that i remember right off the top of my head i should have written them down but yeah so somebody was actually really interested in, in special effects and cult movies um which was kind of the background that this character was coming from yeah so either they did the research really well or you know somebody involved in writing this actually was a fan which is cool i mean that's i think uh i think it's a good um springboard for you know people coming from a background like us that are into horror films or whatever um one thing we always constantly talk about and i know you've talked about this in reference to your interest in in dinosaurs and eventually your career as well but you know what was the the thing that we got really excited about when we were kids it was the you know the special effects in movies absolutely monsters and the creatures and so that's a pretty much a great way to get all of us into this like you know police drama (laughs) well yeah i mean and and like we've talked about when we did our american wolf in london show you know that's what really crystallized for me this interest in these type of genre films is the these elaborate practical effects um Mm. which at the time weren't called practical effects they were just special effects back in my day (laughs) they weren't called practical effects because they weren't digital right digital was something that was you know, strictly Spielberg or George Lucas playing around with, um, you know, with stuff like, you know, young Sherlock Holmes or something like that. But it was a, or, or even when Terminator 2 came out and that was the first real like computer animation done in a mm-hmm. way where it was believable. Right. And, uh, and then Jurassic Park took it to the next level and all that. But ever since then, we haven't really ever gone back. And 
it's uh it's considered a big deal when a movie like you know jurassic world fallen kingdom comes out and they're like you know most of the dinosaur scenes in this movie are done with practical effects but by most they mean slightly over 50 percent yeah and it's like yeah but you're not which is still huge which is still huge today but you know there was once a time where most of it was that and that's really what i you know we focus on here and, and this movie is definitely like a love song to that um and also this is the little props in the background i like you mentioned his apartment i noticed one of the props in there is like a demon baby and they mm-hmm. reference it to some movie but i'm like that's ah, clearly larry cohen's it's alive yes yep it and, sure was <laughs> and, and there's a number of other things too they, they keep mentioning i dismember mama <laughs> Um, yep, I, I love when the the cops come in and they're first searching his place and they're kind of makes him like a bunch of off comments about like what kind of person you know is into this kind of stuff and the, that was kind of their evidence that he was obviously the murderer because you know well someone who's in this kind of stuff obviously just flipped their lid and now they're doing it for real and right I found it clever because I mean there are people out there that grumble and say those kind of things about horror film fans or gore film fans. Um, which I find couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, yeah. It generally, it, you know, the interest comes from yeah things like special effects and monsters and creatures and um, not, you know, you don't find a whole lot of people that are actually <laughs> maladjusted, murderous right. <laughs> uh, folks. It's uh, Well, yeah, and anyway. I think one of the other reasons I really love this movie is, you know, it, I've, I've always said personally, like with my career with, with fossils and things, if it that's where things ended up and i'm very happy with that but when i was a little kid my first job that i ever thought like what do you want to be when you grow up the first real one that i had other than firemen or you know yeah the first like i have a a, a image of me doing something in the future really it was doing these kind of effects in movies and as i mentioned before it was like things like jurassic park that made me kind of oh reality thing with the fossils and the dinosaurs and stuff went in a different direction but this is still like that's why i love this stuff so much is because it's like there's a parallel universe where this is what i'm doing and yeah and so i've well i mean and to a certain extent we definitely i mean we we tried our hand at this stuff yeah we did <laughs> at one point, yeah we did so we, and and i'm actually uh, pretty proud of that stuff your your student films from college i'm really proud of what yeah. we were able to do with zero training and just watching a lot of documentaries about tom savini and greg nicotero and and Rick yeah, Baker I'm, and stuff. I'm super proud of the couple of yeah, the the special effects stuff that we did, especially the zombie movie we shot because yeah. that, that essentially was just a showcase for us to mess around with special effects. Anyone who's interested in the you know that type of film, uh, any fantastic films, you know, horror, sci-fi that you know involve creatures, monsters, and giant bugs, whatever, um, I think it's it's pretty excited by the idea of the effects guy you know like well, that yeah. was at least growing up when we did because that was a a big thing and yeah I mean, this is the first time this was made in 86 so this is like just right around the time when special effects people were really becoming a bit of celebrities and maybe they're not household names but i mean people like rick baker tom savini um stan winston uh etc people were becoming more recognized for their work and their you know their style and um Stan Winston, especially, I think people uh-huh. would recognize his creations, um, not just in in cult and genre film fandom, but you know, major Hollywood. He went on to create you know most of the major Hollywood monsters of our generation. So. Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of Rick the, Baker as well. He's kind of the Steven Spielberg of special effects guys. 
you know like mm-hmm. he created like you said all the icons he did the you know terminator stuff he did jurassic park he's done um you know all these different creatures that we grew up and were iconic you know there's there's always those every was, i thought it was every time you saw an interview with stan winston it was in a dark room he's in a director chair talking and behind him are <laughs> life-size maquettes of all of your stuff which is kind of a neat way it's like taking an artist and hanging up their art behind them for an interview it's like, like yes this is how yeah. they're represented um and you know what we keep mentioning all name dropping all these special effects guys and and i want to make sure that i want to mention uh rob Botin, who oh yeah did so many cool things i mean I, the thing for example i know it's one of your favorites as well uh mm-hmm. john carpenter's i think that's i mean that is probably in my opinion the special effects movie of the 1980s it's just anyway yeah there's and the the difference is with practical effects that's on the set your your actors are and actresses are responding to something that's there on the set and you might they might see the people underneath pulling the strings both literally and figuratively but they're still reacting to something i've actually um talked to some i talked to a guy from here in oshkosh who was actually a, a a professional wrestler uh, it's Hornswoggle, actually. <laughs> he lives here in Oshkosh. The right, of... right, you said that. Yeah, and he um, has a cameo in the movie Muppets Most Wanted. In okay. there, yep. One of the singing, dancing, prison things. He's in there. And I was talking to him, and he's actually a huge Muppets fan. He's always been a big Muppets fan, even as a little kid. So Me this too. was like Me a dream too. come true <laughs> for him to actually be on the set of a, of a Muppet movie. And... I asked him something that I'd heard other people that had done things with Muppets before, if it was true, and that's like how quickly you get pulled into these as characters. And he said, it's it's uncanny and weird. You'll sit down, and somebody will come over and set up the Kermit the Frog puppet, and they start talking to you, and he goes, it's literally within like a, a minute or two, you are talking to Kermit the Frog. Yeah, yeah you, you totally forget there's someone pulling the and, strings and, or whatever under there. And you see the person there, but you just don't. Yeah, they're they're not even there, and that's the kind of stuff that we don't see anymore. Because when somebody is on a set and they're like, "Okay, now imagine there's a Godzilla's behind you," they're responding to to just a cue rather than something being there. And I would say with the Star Wars films, you can notice that a lot more. Mm-hmm. If you look at the older Star Wars, the original trilogy, those were people in suits, or those were monsters on the set, aliens on the set. And in the prequels, right. not as much. And so everything yeah. just looks a little, you know. Obi-Wan, well, I mean, Obi-Wan looks a, slightly above could... Jar Jar and talks to him, you know. Yeah, and you could take that comparison from any film from, you know, the classic era when we grew up, 80s and 90s, and then compare it with, um, you know, something very similar, you know, concept-wise or genre-wise and you'll get that same kind of thing where it's one of them is very practical effects heavy and the other one's going to be, you know, CG. It's just the style of what's the pendulum swings too. I think, I think people are starting to come back. It's never going to go all the way back. Obviously CG is too handy of a tool and I wouldn't want it to go all the way back. So many things are possible now that weren't possible before. I hate really cartoony, overly long CGI sequences and stuff. And I've said that a hundred times on this show. But yeah. <laughs> it just, uh, it, it gets to me. And it seems like the climax of every big budget action sci-fi movie has to be something like that now. Um, 
and I don't mean that I hate big battle sequences. I, I mean, I love all that stuff. I mean, I grew up watching, you know, sci-fi and horror films. I, I mean, I eat up stuff like that. It's just, if it turns into, you know, a cartoon and I, I lose, like, the human element of a live-action movie, uh, I start to become a little annoyed with it and just be like, okay, well, what's the point? Why don't we just animate movies <laughs> at this point, you know? Um, right, and, and anyway. I think, you know... Last week we were talking about Marvel films, uh, the non-MCU mm-hmm. Marvel films, but we talked a little bit about the MCU stuff as well. And just kind of going back and thinking about and watching some of that kind of stuff again, um, you, for better or worse, you know the, these newer style action films. You know the creature effects are are all digital, or you know ninety nine percent digital, um, which and they've gotten better by also having digital backgrounds which blends everything together so nowadays it seems to be films are made more with especially action films is all right here's a green screen and we have our real life actors on the set wearing mostly green suits and we're going to digitally put everything in in post we'll put in the background we'll put and what it does do really well is make that digital character blend in with its background, mm. rather than we're going to go on location and film, and then we're going to stick a digital cartoon character in there later, that you know it kind of doesn't work quite as well. And that's what they were doing more in the '90s and early 2000s. Apparently, you know, they were kind of putting that animated character over something that had already been filmed. And uh, you know, you watch behind-the-scenes stuff of like a lot of the Avengers movies; it's just a lot of green screen structures yeah. that and people in half costumes with a lot of you know digital balls all over them and motion capture suits and all that and and that's fine because it does make it look more balanced but i would argue that as great as they are you can still tell a performance when it's actually done at a location with something on the set that a person has to react to yeah i feel i feel like you can a lot of times yeah you know there there are some examples i've seen like in uh mad max fury road i saw some footage of what was digitally added and versus what wasn't most of that was still shot driving like a bat out of hell through the desert Mm -hmm. they added in some cool stuff in the background and but it was still mostly on set but the speed the speed and the vehicles and the like they actually shot that stuff it wasn't some room in hollywood it was it was actually shot in the desert it's not a jalopy on some blocks and a guy in the back shaking (laughs) it you know um i mean i got i got nothing wrong with that i mean robert rodriguez claims that he made you know the entire sin city movie in a basement on a green screen so it's you know that that's pretty impressive as well to me just it's it's got to be done right and you got to know what you're going for um, it should never be done, and it often is because of budgets. But it should never be done because you want the cheap way out, or you know, yeah. um, want something to be easier. And I, I do think it often is done that way. So um, obviously, CG characters and creatures are cheaper than building all of it. True. Uh, yeah. And but it. But the downside is there's, and again, I plenty of people that you know do amazing work with a digital medium. Uh, and I'm not trying to diminish their craft or their true art in any way. But it's unfortunate that we have a whole other group of artists that aren't being utilized as much. These are people that are thinking of new inventions to create this effect on a set. And then on top of it, applying fantastic sculpting abilities and painting abilities and makeup abilities. 
we just don't see that those skills utilized as much anymore again i'm not saying anything against people that do digital work they they really are artists but we have a whole other group of artists that aren't being utilized and that's kind of unfortunate you know it's really yeah. unfortunate because it's it's become a lost art it's why i said right at the beginning this, this movie wouldn't couldn't be made today it yeah really i mean could. yeah it it could but yeah you'd have to change what it was you know You'd have to change what a, you know, he's the practical effects guy. He's the, you know, <laughs> the guy they send out, like, for one piece of work and runs a shop or something. We want to get that really tight shot of the severed finger, so we're going to need that guy to make one. And yep, that's it. That guy. <laughs> you know, for one. I mean, unless you're Greg Nicotero or, you know, any the KMB guys, so, yeah, anyway. Yeah, because they, so they anyway, essentially I mean, do do it all i mean i I, i'd say they do yeah and and they um yeah knb effects which is is now like the big studio Um, i mean their first call i think for stuff like that yeah most definitely and and it's funny too because they do practical effects for things that you wouldn't expect um oh yeah all over the place yeah in fact one that that always god this is gonna sound like a really bad pun in retrospect but also really sticks out is uh, the the closing shot of the movie Boogie Nights? Um, <laughs> right. Mark Wahlberg's that does, does really stick. It out. really does stick out. Mark Wahlberg's um, <laughs> pres- that was a prosthetic. I figured it was a prosthetic, but I didn't know that. Oh, Greg Nicotero <laughs> made that. <laughs> Good job, Greg. Uh, I'm sure that's his. I'm sure he's really proud of that. One. It's on his mantelpiece. I'm uh, sure. It might it be. It might be, or it's in a. It, it's, <laughs> knowing that is somewhere right yeah I that mean, somebody's got prop that is somewhere somebody has well, that, that is movie movie history right there so you know big bright shining star anyway yeah it's, but that's so, a whole thing that's gone now right um mm-hmm. and unfortunately those kind of practical effects don't always uh last very long you know a lot of the you know, animatronics that they have to use in puppetry and things like that those are made out of a out of materials that don't last very yeah, they long don't age yeah. No, I know that, you know, for example, like the big, just just to keep, put this into perspective, I know I mentioned Jurassic Park a couple of times tonight, but we're talking about effects. So, um, the, 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 the famous breakout of its paddock scene with the T-Rex, they actually built a mechanical electronic 40-foot Tyrannosaurus Rex on the set. And yep. it reacted, they, you know, it was animatronic, but they had glitches with it where it would spontaneously move around. So you had to watch out and not get killed by the T-Rex on the set. And because it was raining during that scene, they had, you know, rain machines, um, the foam rubber kept soaking up all the water, so the thing would start moving around and violently shaking because of the extra weight, so they'd have to shut it down every now and then and squeeze the water out of the covering, out of the foam skin, and hope it wasn't going to do its weird spontaneous move around while you were inside of it cleaning it out <laughs> and it just it was a dangerous job <laughs> and that, right and lately you know the the last couple Jurassic Park movies it's been completely computer animated so yeah yeah it, it is what it is well what you going to do time marches on so yeah now you it's... did say that you saw the sequel to FX FX2 uh, the deadly art of illusion maybe <laughs> i don't know like I, I swear i saw something with this cast of this so i'm guessing that's what it was um i'll have to check it out and see if that's that's the case 
Um, I swear, I mean, the concept of this was familiar to me, like a cop procedural with an effects guy. I just don't think this was the movie. So, it, yeah, I feel like it's got to be the second one, right? There's not a whole, like a lot of movies with that con- with that premise. <laughs> yeah, the one thing I really remember about FX Two was that um, Brian Brown's Raleigh Tyler has. Um, created a new effect which is this life this like six foot tall or human sized robot clown oh right okay yeah i do think i've seen and it's it's a it's a motion reaction suit the kind of stuff they use a lot in movies anyway but it was a little more elaborate but yeah that was i remember that being kind of kind of cool um and and that plays a, a pretty important role throughout the movie uh yeah this clown that does sound familiar so maybe that's the case i maybe i always thought that was fx i don't know anyway but yeah i'm glad glad to have finally seen it (laughs) i remember it being in the video store for years and years so um so yeah if you had to give this one a grade what what would you uh give fx i think i'd actually give it like a, a solid b i mean it's it's dated but in a good way especially for this love we have for these kind of films it's very dated in a way that it very it feels very 1986 um mm-hmm. so i i think the the story arc is a little needlessly convoluted but it's not terrible uh the performances are all really well the makeup effects are all really good the special effects that are intended to be special effects are very very good it's got a good mm-hmm. cast i think yeah it's it's uh it's not one that I would probably watch. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't put it on my top ten list or anything, but it, it's definitely, I, I, I definitely score pretty high. I give, I give it a solid B. What do you think? Yeah, I'm actually right there with you, um, which is pretty normal for this podcast. But yeah, I, <laughs> I, I would give it a B for sure. It's the premise is a little silly, but it works and it's fun. Um, it's. I don't know, it's nostalgic. It pretty much hits all those 80s cop movie cliches, but yeah, like you said, good cast. Um, The effects angle is unique, like having, you know, and putting an effects guy into this situation where he can use, you know, build, use his skills to, you know, make disguises and build traps is really cool. Um, I also feel like it treats its characters pretty cool. There's, um, Raleigh has a a female assistant that I feel like is a... um, a real character that he treats with the, you know, for an eighties movie, especially an eighties action movie with a whole lot of respect. And she's not just there to like hook up. In fact, they don't hook up at all. They're just, you know, people that work together and respect one another. Um, Raleigh's girlfriend is actually killed. And there's a scene where in many movies he would, you know, be having his, um, you know, hooking up with the next, the next chick he meets in the movie. And that's totally not the way it's played at all. So it's an interesting choice for the, this era and um yeah i don't know I, I think it's a it's a really decent 80s cop movie with kind of a cool twist <laughs> it is uh um yeah so i'd give it a b i think it's good uh i wish they would have given tom noonan some something to do that's a... <laughs> yeah yeah i will say and i give i give gordon from sesame street's mustache an a plus. Uh, absolutely so. the fact that it's like the same like he he really does look like he just walked off of like <laughs> he like sure he does. lives on sesame street and he gets up every morning 
and he goes to Mr. <laughs> Hooper's store and buys some, like a package sandwich for his lunch and he you know he they, he talks the weather with Grover and then he gets in a cab and he goes downtown and he's just the toughest nails chief you know <laughs> and then he goes home at night he helps Elmo with his homework and he goes to bed you know it's just like i could right. see this being a thing <laughs> yeah it's can that's canon i'm that's, sure yeah so. i i we're we're going to make it canon we're going to say it's canon now you know, we never did hear... Did, did we ever learn Gordon's last name? I don't know. Maybe maybe it is a, a character thing on Sesame Street. No, it probably is, but... Yeah, who knows? If HBO's so. listening right now, they're probably not happy. But I doubt I doubt they're listening, so... Yeah. I'm willing to uh, say... If, if HBO's listening and, and having any reaction whatsoever, I'm happy. Well, if they're listening at all, so... I'll be overjoyed when I get our get our first season desist letter. So yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> Goals that we're working on. Yeah. So right. Well, make sure uh, we tune in next week though when we're going to be uh, talking about our next film here. Which again, this unexpected connection between between these yeah. films. But uh, we did not even think of them as connected. But hey, you know what? We it worked out. We did anyway. It worked out. <laughs> But uh, and I guess you know we always we always end the show with kind of asking any of our listeners if they have any opinions on things. Of course, if you have an opinion on FX or what, which I again I vaguely remember there being a TV series, but I never I don't think I ever saw it. So, uh, do we have any FX the series fans out there, or how about just what is your favorite practical effect of any movie? Let's kind of just give a, a moment to appreciate and and commemorate the practical effects artists in our favorite yeah. films and what's is there a specific shot or effect that is a favorite do you do you actually have one eric like a favorite scene or oh, shot God. of any movie off the top of my head i'm probably not going to um i don't know just one that springs into my mind is for in the thing the the dog creature uh in its full um whatever you would call it metamorphosis is is one of my favorites of all time but i wouldn't i off the top of my head i wouldn't dare call it my favorite of all time because i'm sure i'd regret it but that that's a great one um rob Boutain is one of my favorites so. yeah you know I, I would have to say that it's funny because my automatic go-to of course is the transformation scene in an american world in london but again no oh, of course you know well so rick baker but um I would say my second favorite is also from The Thing. And it's it's when the severed head sprouts spider legs and starts walking across the floor. It's just... <laughs> yeah. in, in that whole scene where everything's just going batshit crazy and there's that brief pause to breathe and you see that and it's like, are you <laughs> kidding me? It's just so insane. I don't even want to call it ridiculous or over the top. Mm -hmm. It's just so insane that it's awesome so i'd love to know if any of our listeners have any any favorite practical effect shots or, or scenes from from movies that aren't digital that are entirely practical please feel free to drop us a line at uh our facebook page at video junker podcast or in the video junker podcast facebook group uh where if you request we will accept you because we are we don't care um and also yeah. feel free to shoot us a tweet at video junk pod our uh, Twitter handle as well. Or if you're old-fashioned, make sure and shoot it. You can also shoot us an email at videojunkyardpodcast at gmail.com. And any of the above, if you um, would like us to, we will make sure and get your comments on the show. So if you write it, we will read it, um, as we always say. And uh, we would love to hear from you. And 
Really, just send us something. Anything. Please. <laughs> we're, we're desperate at this We're point. desperate. So, but, uh, well, make sure you tune in next week for our kind of part two, kind of not. Or we'll talk about yet another random movie, and we'll, uh, we'll see if we can find a connection. We'll find a slight tangential A slight tangential too. connection. So. <laughs> Until next time, this is the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. And I'm Eric Branson. Have a good evening. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go. Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. On Twitter at Video Junk Pod, and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard? <laughs>